Patent Information Chief for the TRADOC Communication Directorate, and I will be the moderator for today's event. We've got an exciting uh, discussion planned today and some great leaders joining me. First is General Paul E. Funk II, Commanding General of the U.S. Army Training and Doctrine Command. Welcome back, sir. It's always a pleasure to have you join us for these LPDs. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. I really appreciate it, too. Uh, well, thank everyone for joining us here in this uh, for the webinar. Um, and we've also got another great special guest, General Funk. Do you want to uh, introduce? I absolutely your... do. I, I, you know, there are few people I know better in the world than the guy that's going to have this discussion with us today. And uh, he and I talk about this all the time. But we we grew up in the army together. We're we're both sons of the army. We're both uh, we we don't know any other life than our great army and what it stands for and what it does. And if there is someone that I would, if I were ever in a dark place and I knew he was still alive, he would come get me. And he'll talk a little bit about that, too, because that's the kind of uh, man he is. I, this, this opportunity to have the Force Com Commander, my great friend Mike Garrett here, is one of the highlights of my command tour this last two and a half years. He commands the largest United States Army command. It's, it is. He, he, he's exceptionally... Uh, um, qualified to do this. He understands what it means to be a campaign quality army. He understands what a land component commander does. He understands how to build a theater army. And uh, he actually understands how to uh, make, uh, make things happen. You've read his bio, but many of you have interacted with him across the, the, our great force. My great friend, Mike Garrett. Mike, thanks again for being on here with us today. Yeah, Paul, thanks. Thanks for having me. And, and um, you know, I guess the first, you know, kind of point for everybody that's out there, um, you know, Paul Funk and I are really uh, close. Uh, we're very good friends. Um, you know, Paul says that we're kindred spirits. Uh, and a lot of that is, you know, how we grew up, you know, but picture picture the post that you're on now. Picture, you know, all the big houses on the officer side of the post. That's where Paul Funk grew up. I grew up in the, I grew up in the mean, I grew up in the mean streets where, you know, all the NCOs, you know, where all the NCOs lived. Um, but, but I will tell you, you know, as Paul said, and all of you out there, uh, and it's one of the reasons that uh, you're listening in on this. Uh, you know, everybody's got to have somebody uh, that you can count on, somebody that's not going to judge you, uh, somebody that uh, you can share. Uh, anything with. And, um, you know, it becomes even more important to have that person, you know, the more senior you get, because, um, you know, when you get to be a four-star general, there's not a whole bunch of people you can talk about uh, anything with. And uh, Paul uh, certainly is that. And, uh, you know, the other thing I'll tell you, Paul, you know, being responsible as TRADOC commander uh, for uh, the Army's professional development program, I mean, I really, really like what you're doing uh, with this LPD series. And, uh, you know, again, you do a great job with it. Um, you know, you're consistent with it. Uh, and I think you talk about things that are important uh, to your, your audience out there. And the last thing, you know, me and Paul Funk, we are great buddies, but we compete at everything. And uh, I don't know what we're competing at today. I don't know what it is. He'll tell me, uh, and it'll be something that he won already. Uh, but, but Paul, thanks thanks for having me. You bet, Mike. And and. We're competing in the number of views, and so uh, this right. way we'll do it together. But we'll see if Tradoc or Forcecom has the most views. <laughs> well, I want to thank both of you for joining us. And uh, like I mentioned earlier, today's discussion is going to be on readiness. Uh, readiness is a huge, multi-layered mission that commanders are developing and adjusting daily to get the Army to its most ready state. We'll be peeling back those layers to look at readiness through the lens of two of the Army's main commands. By sharing ForceCom's efforts and TRADOC's perspective of readiness, we hope to provide a thorough look into how the top Army commands are preparing and building the Army as a whole. And before we get started, just a reminder, we want you to be part of the discussion. So leave your questions in the comments section and we'll try to get them answered during the event. If we can't, keep an eye on our social media pages and we'll get answers to your questions and have them posted in the near future. And with that, we're going to get started. And General Garrett, we're going to kick it off to you. So could you give us an overview of what exactly Force Comm's role is in the Army? Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, you know, we are responsible to provide trained, ready forces to the combatant commanders for anything that they require. 
And, um, and you know, the, the most important parts of those are trained uh, and ready. Uh, we'll, we'll talk probably about this, you know, as we go along. But, you know, um, it's been about, I don't know, Paul, maybe 20 months that uh, the secretary, actually a little bit longer than that, where the secretary officially changed the Army's number one priority, you know, to people. Uh, and I know in Forces Command, you know, commanders uh, and senior non-commissioned officers at Echelon have struggled with, you know, what exactly does people first mean? And, and you know, for the last six months, what I have started most of my conversations with is asking the question of why we exist as an army. And we exist as an army for one reason, and that is to fight and to win our nation's wars. Yep. When I talked to this, this infantry company that I talked to yesterday, I asked the same question to them. And then I asked him, I said, so why do we have an infantry? We have an infantry, uh, you know, for the most brutal part of war, uh, and that is to engage at close quarters with the enemy and kill them. Uh, and we can never, ever, ever forget that uh, because, uh, again, it is why we exist. And it's to fight and, and to win our nation's wars. And, um, you know, I've spent a lot of time, you know, talking to uh, leaders and soldiers uh, about what that means to me. And what it means to me is that we have... It's not just a bumper sticker where we talk about having soldiers, you know, that are fit, disciplined, well-trained, and part of a cohesive team. That is really what it takes to win, uh, and that's really what we are shooting for. Yep, Mike, I couldn't agree more. As a matter of fact, that's what we're trying to build in TRADOC, as a matter of fact, is, is those kinds of young men and women who are ready to enter into those highly trained, highly disciplined, highly cohesive teams and what, by introducing him to all the concepts you just talked about, we have to be able to do that piece of this. And I couldn't agree more. Uh, and that's where we start with the basics of individual readiness. Taking a citizen and converting he or she, in, or transforming, it's not really a convergence, it's a transformation into a soldier who has the raw skills that a, a leader can then mold in a force comm unit uh, to, to get better every day through the more sets, more reps, more, uh, more, inclusion, more inclusion into what it means to do the things that Mike just talked about. He's entirely right about we have to remember fight and win our nation's wars is the bedrock of what we do. Everything else is, is really every ancillary to that. Uh, and we, you know, whether you talk about in the competition phase, whatever phase you're talking about, at its essence, our ability to fight and win must, must prevail in what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, you know, the other thing, Paul, is, you know, as we, uh, you know, I was thinking about this, there's always an argument. It's almost a chicken egg kind of thing, right? Um, you know, if you're out in Forcecom, uh, you know, what I'll hear, uh, you know, NCOs, uh, say is that, oh, you know, we're not bringing the right people in the Army, we're not training them right. Uh, you know, what Paul probably hears in TRADOC is, hey, you know, we train the hell out of these guys and gals, we get them to a point where they're ready to go to a unit, and the unit screws them up. Yep, that's and, right. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, there's a little bit of both of that yeah. in there, right? Uh, and, and I think that uh, it is our uh, responsibility because um, you know what, we are fighting for every young man and woman, uh, you know, uh, for our army, uh, and it is our responsibility to receive them in a way that makes them feel like they're valued members of the team, and then, quite frankly, to train the hell out of them because that's what they come into the army for. Yep. Um, and so, uh, I, I tell you, Paul, I think you know the you know what we're doing recruiting-wise uh, is amazing. Having a little bit of a background there and understanding just how hard that business is. Uh, and then what we've done, uh, you know, with our initial entry training uh, and our one station unit training is just amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know how long we're going to be able to afford 22 weeks, uh, you know, at uh, OSIT. But I tell you what, uh, we are a much better army today, uh, you know, because of that investment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Mike. And what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, because you push this. And you and I have talked about this an amazingly amount of times is, you know, our ability to get sets and reps is so important. If I can get them the, the raw skill, the, the actual, not introduction, but to get them to some level of competence so, so that you can then refine that process and make them into the, the warfighting machine that we're looking for, I think that's the keys to the kingdom. And so our time spent there 
uh, is really valuable. You're right about whether or not we can afford it. I, I'm to the other side of this. I think we have to afford it. I think we, ha we have to look at those things that are going on and find a way to make sure we can afford that part because the best way to uh, take a young man or woman and give them the capability to come home is to make sure they're well trained. Yeah, I, and I think, Paul, it's even more important with our armor formations. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I tell you, you know, it's one thing, you know, to take an infantryman uh, and put them through the integrated weapon strategy uh, and to, to do all that stuff. But it's a whole nother thing uh, when you're able to spend that amount of time uh, with an armored crew member uh, and actually teach him or her about the platform. I mean, some of these some of these young soldiers get to the unit and they know more about the Bradley or the Abrams. Uh, you know, than the, uh, the the guy or gal they're working for. Yep. That, well, that's exactly right. And Mike, and that's what we want. That Ultimately, I want to give you that machine, that ability to then take that and push the leaders a little bit, too. I think there's some, some investment in the lead, leader development areas that we probably need to go after a bit more, too. You know, some of our schools and things like that in terms of the Bradley Leader course, the, the Tank Commander's course, those kinds of things will help give you the materials you need to, to reinforce those in the units. That's, that's why I brought those back, and uh, Pat Donahoe's done a great job down there. I know we have some senior leaders that their first introduction to some of the mechanized forces is going to be at the brigade and battalion level. And if that's the case, I, at TRADOC, got to give them at least a baseline capability so they don't you know, embarrass themselves leading their formations. So that, that's what we're trying to do now. And Pat's really got a strategy at Benning to do that. Well, I think, though, Paul, you know, so I think you may be, uh, um, yeah, I think you're the senior armor officer in the Army, right? Well, uh, yeah, I'm uh, by year group, yes, I am. Uh, I mean, yeah, I know yeah. the vice outranks you, yeah. but I'm talking, you know, the, right. the most senior armor guy in the Army yes. is, is you. That's right. Uh, and, and, and I tell you what, you know, I think, uh, you know, the discussion that we're having about, you know, uh, uh, you know, going to a, uh, uh, what are we, what's the MOS going to be? Uh, 19 Charlie. Uh, yeah, 19 Charlie. I tell you, that is the exact way to go. Yes. Uh, you know, you know, I, I tell you, Paul, as a I've learned a lot in this job. Uh, actually, I've learned a lot in the last decade about armored forces. Uh, but what I didn't really have an appreciation for is how much work uh, and how much training it took especially in our Bradley formations, because these are 11 series uh, folks. And uh, you can't take, I, I don't care how good you are, uh, you cannot easily take, you know, uh, an airborne infantryman uh, that has no background uh, in our mechanized forces uh, and have him or her lead those formations. Right. Uh, and and, it's, just a, and, and it's, it's just a it's a matter of fact. And so I really like the way that we're going right now, how we're, we're, we're looking at uh, – you know, who we put into those commands, uh, you know, to fight those organizations. And I think it's going to be even more uh, important, uh, you know, as as we go into the future, we get away from counterinsurgency and, and really, you know, start to gain the expertise uh, in large scale combat operations. It's going to be required. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. And, and so I'm trying to get after and what, what really we're trying to do in the whole TRADOC enterprise is get after the lethality piece of our business. And, you know, those weapon systems that you just highlighted, the tank, the Bradley, uh, they are incredible warfighting machines. But only they're only as good as the people operating them. And that goes all the way back to the Tradox uh, principles of, hey, look, we've got to find you the right people. We've got to develop the right leaders. We've got to build the right cohesive teams. And then we've got to give you a product that you can refine. Uh, you can't start from scratch. You know, you shouldn't expect it. You should... Uh, uh, push on us to make sure that that happens. And I couldn't agree. You know, it is uh, this 19 Charlie business. Uh, I, I think this is going to be a, the, the right way to go. I, I really agree with it. Not only that, we're going to introduce now into the formation, you know, mobile protected firepower systems and, and more systems. And so the warfighting machines are getting more complex. Uh, the, and the holding of ground and the you know face-to-face -face ground combat piece of this is brutal enough as it is, and we are increasing the lethality in the squad. For example, with all the squad automatic weapons, the new rifles were coming in with the new systems. 
So all of that is complementary to being ready for the MDO fight too. But we got to be ready, and you know this better than anybody in the world. We got to be ready right now to do whatever it is the nation needs us to do. Why don't you talk a little bit about that in terms of what, what how you see that? Yeah, you know. So uh, and you know the good thing about me and Paul being great friends is uh, you know feel bad about providing honest, candid feedback to one another in terms of what we're doing. Uh, and when I took this, you know, just based on my background, uh, you know, I focused on, you know, I called it foundational readiness. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, kind of the picture I paint um, at the tactical level and at the foundational level is our tank crews got to be able to acquire, engage, and move on to the next tank faster than our adversaries. If we can do that, we're going to win. If we win the tactical fight, uh, then we save lots of decision space for, you know, our senior leaders. If we lose that fight, it doesn't mean we're going to lose the war. We have certainly taken away a lot of decision space, you know, for leaders. And we found ourselves in an operational and strategic fight that we could have avoided. And so I have been focused, uh, you know, during my entire command tenure on real readiness. And real readiness starts with individual soldiers who are disciplined, fit, highly trained, uh, and I don't care if you're an infantryman or uh, an armor member, a field artillery member, a cook, a medic, it doesn't matter. You know, it all starts with real 10 level proficiency. Uh, and, you know, we have done more, think about this, Paul, this last year, we have conducted more expert soldier badge training, infantry badge training, field medical badge training than we have in a decade. Yep. And that is a commitment to foundational level, 10-level training, and 10-level excellence. And then when you put those soldiers inside of that uh, that team, part of the cohesion is everybody being able to trust the person on their left and right, uh, or everybody being able to trust each member of that crew uh, to do, you know, to do their job. That builds cohesion, you know, as much as anything that we've talked about. And so I've spent a lot of time uh, on, on uh, you know, talking about readiness at that level. Um, you know, we have, uh, as, as we have looked at the future and we, we are transitioning uh, to real uh, capacity and large-scale combat operations and then further as we move into multi-domain operations, uh, it's still going to be uh, soldiers, it's going to be uh, small units, uh, you know, that are going to fight and, uh, and win this thing. The, the uh, you know I'm coming to you today from uh, from Fort Campbell and and I'm here hanging out with the 101st uh, you know for a very specific reason uh, General McGee uh, has the entire division uh, so the whole 101st all of the brigades are out in the field and they've been out in the field some of them for three weeks uh, at this point and that is uh, you know that's not something that we've been able to do. Uh, over the last 20 years easily. Think about it. First of all, you got to have the whole division home yeah. to be able to have the whole division That's in the field. Right. And and this is the first time in, in uh, you know, in anybody's memory that that's been the case. If you go to Fort Hood today, General White will tell you that every guide on, every set of colors is present at Fort Hood. That hasn't happened in two decades. No. And so we have a tremendous opportunity, you know, to really train, not to rush through tasks uh, to meet some, you know, some timeline for deployment, uh, but to really uh, gain, um, you know, what I call mastery uh, of, uh, of what it is that we're doing. Uh, I don't know, Paul, when we're going to talk about, you know, um, the new um, unit life cycle model, uh, the regionally aligned readiness and modernization model. But, you know, we're, we're going to this, you know, so we've gotten away from Army Force Generation, uh, you know, for for good reason, and and you know this this rearm piece is really to provide predictability um, and stability uh, for our formations. Uh, and again, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I visited. You know, I don't know how many units all day yesterday. I visited the cab uh, this morning, and the things that I am seeing are things that I have not seen in this job. And it's because the unit's been out in the field for three weeks and they've been able to do things to standard. They've been able to do it wrong and go out and retrain and retrain on this task. I mean, it's unbelievable. I just, you know, I just left the aviation brigade, as I was telling you, 
there are farps uh, that we flew over about five or six farps. You could not see them because of the camouflage, because of their placement in the wood line. Uh, and, you know, the commander, Colonel Habhab, was telling me, he goes, hey, that's not how we started. We started with these things out in the, you know, out in the middle of some field. Um, and uh, so anyways, the, the, the point is, uh, with this regionally aligned model, uh, it should help us uh, and commanders at Echelon, you know, to have more predictable schedules to be able to train uh, a plan training, you know, like what I am seeing here uh, at the 101st. Hey, hey, Mike, uh, just to build off a little bit of that, you know, and, and I think it's Travis Habhab. I think he, he's, he's a tremendous trooper. Yeah, he is. And, uh, but let's build off that a little bit as you talked about rearm, but I want to go back to almost foundational training. Let's talk a little bit about, have you had, got to experience in the holistic health and fitness teams out there yet? What are you, what are you getting from them? What are you seeing? And what do you think? You know, yeah, so some of these things, Paul's, are no-brainer, brainer, right, <laughs> even for Mike Garrett. Uh, and I remember when we were piloting, uh, you know, uh, the H2F organizations and concepts, uh, I was out at JBLM. This was very early in my command tenure. Uh, I was out at, uh, I don't know if it was 2-1 or 2-2 striker, but one of the striker brigades. And i tell you what, I did PT with them. Uh, I got a good briefing from, uh, you know, their physical therapists, their strength coaches, uh, the dietitian, uh, and I tell you what, that unit, um, and, and, you know, if you want a picture of what right looks like from a holistic health and fitness standpoint, that's it. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, uh, and this is what happens to the army and this is where we're always challenged. We always have great ideas. Uh, but when we get around to, to scaling those ideas, uh, you know, to the entire army, you know, sometimes it causes us to make suboptimal decisions you know, based on, uh, you know, really what things cost. Yeah. And so I am a huge fan, Paul, of holistic health and fitness. Uh, and I think one of the things that you are going to have to do, and, and I need, I owe you all the input here, is what are those things that we we think we can do without? I think we need all of it, but we probably need to, you know, have a one-to-end kind of list of, of what they're doing. You know, if you talk to some of the division commanders and brigade commanders, they'll tell you that our psychologists and our behavioral health specialists are, you know, as important, uh, maybe the most important element. There are other units that will tell you that, you know, our physical therapists, uh, you know, are the most important element. Our strength coaches are the most important element. But I really do think, you know, as we continue to collect data, you know, the decisions that we make in the future in terms of, of uh, you know, what these organizations look like, you know, how you eventually start training uh, more army physical therapists, and we're able to do this with soldiers as opposed to uh, contractors. I think we'll be in a good place. Hey, Mike, I'm glad you brought that up because my vision for this is to to be in the MRT uh, MFT courses and developing the skills necessary for our sergeants uh, to take over this business uh, eventually, and then maybe some of the higher end things we'll we'll contract for that we we're doing now. But I I think in the near, not too distant future, if we do this right, we can do exactly what you just said and transition this into a uniformed uh, capability that gives us the ability to deploy with it, to do everything we need to do, and build it into our organization so it becomes part of our DNA. That's where I'm going yeah. with this. I don't want it to be a sustained contract. I want it to be uh, uh, become uh, organic to the outfit, and you have to do that through the uniform force in many cases. But you can only do that, Paul, if you have time, right? Correct. And, uh, Which is why the foundational our... readiness piece is so important. You convince me. Yeah. All right, you convince me. <laughs> Two and a half years later. But yeah, yeah. I, no, I see. I completely see that, and especially to get back to the excellence business. Y'all, you know, as Sarah's getting questions that are coming over the computer and stuff, yeah. so we'll go to those in a minute. Uh, one of what she just got is uh, from our was for me is about how do our instructors stay competitive with their Forcecom counterparts as they're going through that. And th some of it's through excellence. We have, for example, an excellence instructor badge. We have uh, the ability for our, our programs to do expert soldier badge, or if you're a medic, you can do the EFMB. So that excellence program that, you're, that you were just talking about, Mike, is another way for our instructors to stay uh, uh, competitive with their Forcecom counterparts. 
Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Paul, uh, uh, so I'm sitting around talking to uh, a battalion's worth of uh, company commanders and first sergeants yesterday. And as I told you before, three of the five first sergeants were E7s. Yeah. Uh, or no, correction, three three of, three of them were E8s. And I think three of them were uh, E7s. Uh, and I asked one of the E8s, I said, hey, so talk to me about your responsibility to mentor. Uh, you know, how does that work, you know, uh, amongst yourselves? And the one guy... Yeah, I mean, he, he said, hey, I just came out of TRADOC, right? Uh, and, I, and I tell you what, I mean, I associate uh, the NCOs that we put in TRADOC and the ones that are responsible for training our soldiers, uh, I, I equate that with excellence. You don't put a, if I see a drill sergeant badge on somebody's chest, uh, that's excellence, you know, for me. And what I would tell your drill sergeants out there and your instructors out there is what we need them to do when they get to their units is to share uh, you know, their knowledge of doctrine, whatever they're experts in, because they are experts. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need drill and ceremony. That's part of our culture. Yes. That's part of who we are. Yes. We need that in our formations. Yeah. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly, Mike. And, 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 you know, I mean, we're just about every NCO in the Army is going to serve in TRADOC at some point. And so, and we do try to generate excellence and, and expertise and so we, we have that capability. So I'm glad you recognize that. I think there's, you know, um, I think there's a, there's a difference between a badge and then being truly an expert in, for example, doctrine. Or let's take a master gunner, for example. That is not uh, for, the, for the ill at heart, that kind of a course or those kinds of things and that kind of study and, and to be an expert in your profession. You and I have talked about, and one of the things we need to highlight here is we also need warrant officers. So we need some folks that really help us to step up and actually want to come in and be even deeper experts in, in their field by being uh, technical warrant officers. And I know that's a shortage in Forcecom, and I'm looking for innovative ways to help there. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, I think I, at, at AUSA, the warrant officers invited me to speak to them. Uh, and I, I think all I did was make them all mad, uh, you know, because I started my comments uh, with something like, you guys aren't as good as you think you are and you're not the experts we need you to be. Right. Uh, but then I but then I, I, I told them why. And it's not their fault. It's they're doing exactly what we've asked them to do for the last 20 years. Uh, you didn't need you know, you didn't need that uh, that maintenance warrant to be you know, the uh, the duty expert because you had some contractor that was doing it and it wasn't your equipment anyways, you know, right. you were falling in on somebody else's. And nobody washes but a rental we, car. That's right. But what we need, except for Mike Garrett, well, of I course. wash mine. Naturally. I don't, yeah, well, I don't like. You're a precision yeah, like, kind of guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, our warrant officers, Paul, uh, and we're starting to see that, Paul, we need our experts. We need maintenance experts yes. we need I was, just, I was just talking to uh you know the cw5 the chief warrant officer of the cab right i mean those guys and gals are critically important to what we're doing yep. uh and you know the challenge is as garrett sees it from forcecom is if you don't have the seed corn and those are e6s and e7s who are already experts yep. um, and then we make them warrants uh, we don't have the e6 e7 experts to you know to produce a number of of warrant officer candidates. And so uh, the Forcecom G1 along with the Army G1 uh, and probably the whole Army, you know, is looking at innovative ways uh, to increase the number of warrant officers that we have to include uh, direct commissioning right. warrant officers. I mean, you know, I think, you know, just based on what I've seen, I think you could bring a, you know, you could bring a warrant officer in the Army, direct, direct commission them, uh, send them to school for two years, make that investment, and you would have, you know, uh, a a great person that that uh, could help our army. Yeah. Uh, and so I think I think we're moving in the right direction. I just I just uh, you know worry a little bit in terms of how long it's going to take us to get there. Yeah, and that's right. And you, well, that's a part for uh, the senior leaders of, of the nation to re realize too. You know, expertise is not built overnight. And that's right. And, and so we, we that's why we got to be able to do that. All right, Sarah. I'm sorry, we're just having a conversation <laughs> no, here. This Go is, ahead. No, and that's this is why this conversation is so important, because you guys are at the top of your commands that are half of the backbone of what the Army is. So you guys have a very unique 
um, re relationship because you've grown up in the army together and now you're at the heads of two of these huge commands. So how does the relationship between TRADOC and FORCECOM and that interpersonal relationship that you yeah. and General Garrett have, how is that impactful to the army? Why is that so, why is, why is this rapport between these ACOMs so, so important? Well, I think the bedrock of our profession is trust. And Mike said this. I, frankly, that that is that's what it looks like. What do, uh, that does not mean that you're not going to disagree on certain ideas. That's not what it means. It means that you'll have a frank conversation, that you respect the other so much that you're willing to listen to an alternate opinion, and then develop a a, a course of action along the way. It's about building on a foundation of mutual respect, admiration, and no kidding trust that that sh if you're going to truly be a leader you got to model that and that's what Mike and I have tried to do for for these ne many years is always trust in one another you know the the other thing Sarah though I think is uh, you know as I think about you know uh, Joe McConville and Secretary Warmuth, the chief and the secretary don't have to ever choose between me and Paul, right? Uh, you know, we come to uh, we come to a, a, a decision, uh, so we'll work out whatever we got to work out between the two of us. Uh, and you know, the secretary and the chief, you know, get a a, a vote or a perspective uh, that is consistent across uh, trade and Forcecom. And and that's not just because me and Paul sitting around, you know, talking about stuff. You know, we have very very uh, competent and powerful staffs who are the best at you know what they do in the army, uh, and our staffs. I'll tell you what. Here's the other interesting thing. Our staffs, you know, they will, you know, oh, yeah. they, they'll go at it. They'll go at it. But at the end of the day, you know, uh, I think it's helpful for our staffs to know that Paul Funk and I uh, are gonna, uh, you know, have a discussion between the two of us, uh, and then we're gonna come to a conclusion, uh, and we're gonna we're gonna have, you know, we're gonna make a recommendation. Uh, you know, to our Army leadership, uh, and that's probably as important uh, as anything about the relationship between the two of us. Absolutely, and, you know, and, you, know you can take that even one step further. I, you go back to Army, Army hiring days, right? I, just uh, uh, a mission that we all have, and Mike has an, an incredible perspective as he did the recruiting mission as the deputy down there. But if you think about that, when, I, when we asked for help, when we knew that there was no way the recruiting force could get out and get everywhere. And now we've, now we've returned 1,000 NCOs back to Forces Command so that we can fill some of those shortages that he's talking about. He, he asked me to do that. I said, okay. And then I asked him, hey, help us with this Army National How Help us get the word in. There was never, never a question of why are we doing this or any of that. He said, how can we help and where do you, want it? Where do you need our emphasis? That's the power of this. It really is. Uh, so I think that, uh, uh, you know, that's what you got to model. And why the staffs will, will compete for resources, uh, you know, it is a competition, like Mike said. Uh, it is a competition for resources along the way, as long as we both understand that the end state is a better army. That's an right. army that's highly trained, disciplined, and fit. That's what the chief has asked us to do. That's what the secretary reinforces. Then as long as we know that that's the end goal, uh, how we get there is is really is really our problem. It's our job to implement that. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely, Paul. I mean, it's you know we probably haven't done as many uh, of these things as Paul and I uh, envisioned early into our uh, commands, but we've done a couple of Forcecom Tradoc, you know, kind of leader days where you know Paul brings the Force or the Tradoc staff, I bring the Forcecom staff. Uh, you know, one one event is Forcecom kind of focus, and so we share uh, what uh, we're doing inside of the corps and divisions with the TRADOC folks. And then the other is, you know, Paul and the TRADOC folks, right? The MCOE commanders and Sergeant Major, you know, kind of sharing what they're doing. Um, so I, at the end of the day, and, and uh, Paul said it, you know, what we're trying to do is uh, have the best Army in the world. Uh, and, and that's going to be even more important as... You know, we compete for, you know, for resources. Uh, and, and it really is, you know, we've, we've talked, you know, for years. I mean, one of the, you know, OER bullets in any, you know, OER writing for dummies book you pick up, 
you know, one of the bullets on there is, hey, be a good steward of your resources. Uh, well, I tell you today, we absolutely have to be good stewards of our resources because every dollar that we waste uh, potentially impacts readiness, it impacts modernization, uh, and it impacts our people, and we can't do that. That's exactly right. I, and Mike, I lost you for a minute there, but I'm sure you said I'm a powerful and handsome man at least <laughs> twice. Yeah, I, I think I did. I said exactly that. <laughs> awesome. Hey, sir, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. We, you touched on it a little bit. You mentioned uh, the signal officers, these warrant officers that are coming to uh, Forces Command. They specifically want to know how can they improve? How can they improve in the schoolhouse? How can they better themselves through their training? How can they make themselves more ready um, to transition to your units, General Garrett? Yeah, so, um, you know, it's pretty simple. Um, you got to look like a soldier. Uh, you have to be able to lead by personal example. I mean, that's what our that's what our soldiers expect. I mean, they want to look. They want to look, and they want to see it. I don't even. It doesn't even matter if it's a platoon leader, uh, but they want to look up and they want to be uh, proud to follow. You know, Lieutenant Garrett or Lieutenant Funk. Uh, and you know, I, you know, when I was a second lieutenant, my dad was my division command sergeant major. And, uh, you know, I lived in the BOQs and most nights, you know, I could walk home uh, and my mom would feed me dinner. But the price I had to pay for that was listening to my dad. And my dad hated lieutenants. He hated he, he had a particular disdain for, for for lieutenants. I mean, and every night, you know, he would he would tell me something. And what he said was, he goes, you know, the the, the challenge with lieutenants is they just take, take, take. And he goes, you know, what lieutenants have to do. Uh, and I think this is, you can extrapolate this to captain, lieutenant colonel, but what they have to do is they have to be able to contribute right away because regardless of your experience level, you're still in charge. Yep. And he said, he said, hey, all of your NCOs know that you're the brand new lieutenant. They're not expecting a whole bunch. They don't expect you to be Clausewitz. Uh, what they do expect, though, is they expect you to be fit. They expect you to know what the standards are. Uh, and then what my dad told me, he goes, hey, you're a college graduate. You can write and read. He said, so read your SOPs and write the ones that you don't have. But his point was, you know, you got to be prepared and you got to be able to to uh, to uh, contribute to the organization immediately. And what I would tell, you know, everybody out there is, you know, where are we um, and, and we'll get better. Uh, we're getting better every day. But, you know, one of the areas right now that I don't think we're as good as we used to be in the area of doc being doctrinally sound. Yep. When I, hey, when I left uh, IOBC and when I left the career course, I was the best staff officer in my organization. Uh, I mean, I knew the operations process uh, as well as anybody in the Army because we trained it very, very hard. I mean, I, I left, uh, you know, the advanced course very, very confident uh, in my ability to contribute on, you know, as soon as I got to a unit. Uh, and so, uh, you know, so that's the one piece. The second piece is, uh, you know, and I, even, you know, out here today, one of the first things I ask when I walk into to a unit is they show me your SOPs. Yep. Um, uh, you know, because we're, we're again, we're not as good as we used to be in terms of codifying our TTPs yep. uh, and putting them in ways that, uh, you know, outlast, you know, one platoon leader. Uh, one company commander or one battalion commander. Uh, and so what I would, you know, recommend to, you know, our folks that are coming out of school is, hey, be tactically sound, be fit, uh, and then, you know, be be able to train, understand training yep. management. Yep, I agree, Mike. And that, and the good news is that's where we're focused in the schoolhouse. And uh, as, it, as it so happens today, I'm driving, flying out to Leavenworth, and we're going to do our education summit, and we're going to get after those very foundational things that you just talked about. I'm going to look and see where they fit, how we're using them, how we're doing what we call the TRADOC Common Core, which uh, the operations process is obviously an incredible piece, and training management is too. So I'm going to check, little leader check on how yeah. we're doing that for you. Because, you know, yeah. part of the problem with digitization is we, went, we got away from writing things down. Because, and then we got into the phone business, and SOPs, you can't check to see if that thing's dirty and nasty and been used a thousand times and got all kinds of pen and ink changes and things in it because then you know it's truly an SOP and somebody's using it right. as opposed right. to, you know, some pristine thing you can find on a phone or something. 
So we're trying to get back to some of those basic techniques on how to do those kinds of things. Uh, so I agree. I yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Paul, if it's uh, I mean, I really don't know what it is. I mean, you and I growing up, we didn't have a problem pulling out our book. I mean, no. in my cargo pocket, there was always some SOP. Yep. There was some checklist uh, that uh, I did. I pulled out all the time and referred to, yeah. uh, you know, today uh, it's, it's, you know, the defense. The defense is one of the hardest things that we do. Uh, it requires lots of resources. It requires uh, a lot of precision and synchronization. Yep. Um, and so if you had a checklist, you know, that uh, that helped the battalion staff, the brigade staff, and even down to, you know, the people digging farm or fighting positions, yep. uh, you know, it would uh, you know be helpful. The other thing is our doctrine is good. Yes. You know, it's, when I was when I was growing up, uh, I felt. Knowing seven dash eight inside and out. Yep. Right. Um, you know, and so I've been asking questions. So, you know, I always. Uh, pick something to, to bone up on before I go visit a unit. Uh, pulled out 3.0 and looked at, uh, you know, company battalion, brigade level defense. Uh, and, you know, and, that's what I, and, and the good thing here is uh, before I even said that, you know, yesterday, you know, I had battalion commanders talking to me about, you know, they're doing the same work. Yep. Uh, and so, again, I think, Paul, I think our soldiers always want to do the very, very best that they can. Uh, I just think that, you know, over the last 20 years, uh, we've not we've had a different set of standards uh, and we've not had the time, yep. you know, for people to become the experts that they want to be and that we need in our army. That's I couldn't agree more. And, you know, you know, you hear me all the time, Mike, talking about in some of these higher level meetings we go to that we need to be a doctrinally based sound yep. army. That is what that's what highly trained looks like. Because we don't know how to do large-scale ground combat right now. We've got to drive to that. And the way to do that is through leader development. You just talked about the, you know, the seven or the eight steps to building an engagement area, for example. Those are incredible opportunities for leader development in a practical application. But, but we have to go back to the foundational documents that get us there, 3.0, 7.0 on how to train. And that's why we went back to those. And so the TRADOC has... Uh, taken the opportunity to update both those you know three o's out in for worldwide staffing right now on its second turn and you also know that seven o is complete signed and and is now in the field uh and frankly you and i uh driving that will go a long ways towards helping our army get there uh which i believe as you do that we got to get back there back to foundational it's foundational readiness and doctrine is a piece of that yeah i agree with you yeah, the other thing, Paul, would be, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, the, uh, I don't care if it's uh, BOLIC or Triple C or uh, CGSC, hell, even the War College, right? You know, uh, I think, I think you know, lieutenants ought to leave there with, uh, you know, an SOP on, yeah. you know, how to be everything from maintenance to, uh, to training, you know, at that level. Same thing, you know, with our company commanders or soon-to-be battalion S3s and XOs uh, out of uh, CGSE, um, you know, GTA cards. I mean, I'm, they, I know they exist. Yes. Uh, but, but like you said, you know, they're on some phone now. It's not on. It's not in somebody's Correct. pocket. Um, and, you know, here's the other thing, you know, so General, and, and I'll tell you, General McGee is actually, you know, he is, he is emblematic of all of the division commanders that we have in the Army today. I mean, they are very, very smart. They're very, very, uh, uh, you know, knowledgeable. They got lots of uh, combat experience. And, you know, it is probably the last echelon that truly remembers uh, and has some experience in real training management uh, and real maintenance management. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Um, I agree with and, that. Um, and so, you know, I'm asking them, just like, you know, what General McGee is doing here, he's doing as much coaching and teaching uh, at the brigade and battalion level yeah. as anybody Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's the other place, you know, our, our um, combat training centers were actually originally designed to be leadership development laboratories. <laughs> Getting back to that technique, which is something you're doing out there uh, now in terms of it's not just generating some readiness to go consume somewhere, but the foundational part of leader development 
on how to do things and where, where to put your emphasis is really important. And I've seen that come back into the training centers, and I, I applaud that, and I think we got to continue that because we do have to develop the leaders of tomorrow out there in the dirt, whether it be at Fort Polk, Fort, and frankly, uh, Chris Cavoli's doing the same thing in Europe. Uh, I think that's exactly the way we got to go. And so I, I actually agree with how well, you're, how well we're going to that. I'm going to propose to the chief that we really go after the leader development business at the CTCs. And you saw some of that. You took some of that to Hawaii there. And so you had That's to train right. the conditions and things. So we're being innovative in how we apply that. But leader development is the bedrock of uh, competency in our Army, I think. You know, the other, the other thing, Paul, that, you know, we all, we all know this, but, um, you know, we got caught up in, uh, you know, whatever it is that we're doing. But they're, they're, it's so important to uh, see something done to standard, to be a part of something done to standard. Yes. You know, so one of, one of the things that we have started, we instituted out at the National Training Center, and I think we're on our fourth rotation, is, uh, and you know, you know me, Paul, sometimes I can be a, a blunt instrument. Uh, but I, I, uh, I said, hey, look, I said, I don't, we, we're having problems with our maintenance and we're having problems generating combat power up to CTC. Uh, and, you know, it was Kurt Taylor. He says, hey, best SSA. we got the biggest SSA in the Army right here. we got the best maintenance facilities right here. Uh, he goes, if I were you, I wouldn't let a unit leave until they were above 90% OR. I said, you know what, Kurt, that's a great damn idea. No units leaving now until they're 90% OR rate. And you know what that does, Paul? I mean, uh, like I said, we're on our fourth iteration. Units are leaving the National Training Center in a better maintenance posture when they're showing up. Yep. Uh, the other the other piece is they're getting the opportunity to do maintenance correctly. Yep. Uh, you know, um, and so uh, again, I, I think what we're doing, you're exactly right. You know, uh, you know what Dave Doyle uh, is doing down at the Joint Readiness Training Center, and what uh, Kirk is doing at the National Training Center uh, is just evolutionary, right? I mean, those things have to keep up with the times. Yeah. Hey, Mike, one of, those is, uh, one of those things you just talked about is directly related to what we got out of the People First Task Force business is predictability. It is predictable now that you will not leave a combat training center unless you're 90% OR. That's predictability. It doesn't have to be a soft policy. It's not about a bunch of days off and things like that. It's about being predictable. So that, And, by the way, if they're at 90% OR when they leave there, when they go home, they're going to have more time at home. So that is taking care of. That's people first. That is a perfect, uh, perfect example of making sure that we give people as maximum amount of time to do things to standard, whether it be family time or training time. Uh, doing right. it to standard is, is the exact right. And you and I are both big-time family guys. And so, you, you know, I mean, that, that to me is uh, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for pre predictability. You know, some sort of sustainability and some sort of uh, practical application of common sense once in a while. Sometimes uh, we overlook that piece, too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think this has been absolutely incredible. I think we have time for probably one more question. I'm going to pose it to both of you. General Garrett, we're going to start with you. So you guys have kind of discussed how the Army was doctrinally sound with you, you both when you first joined and how it's kind of shifted away from that, just those different changes. So how do you see the Army growing and adapting its readiness mission in the next five years? General Garrett, if you wanted to tackle that one first. Yeah, so uh, uh, thanks, Sarah. So the regionally aligned readiness and modernization model, um, you know, so we'll have uh, units that uh, are regionally aligned. So. Um, you know, if it's Europe, you know, they'll understand what, uh, you know, General Cavoli uh, as the theater army commander, you know, requires, uh, you know, they'll get to spend more time analyzing the terrain, analyzing, uh, you know, the different formations uh, of our potential adversary there. If you're out in uh, Indo-PACOM, you know, it's kind of the same thing, you know, General Flynn, uh, has a pretty good plan in terms of uh, how he envisions, you know, the fight out there and what the requirements are. And so I, I think, um, you know, what, what we are, are doing in our Army with the regionally aligned readiness and modernization model uh, is going to allow us uh, to do that. You know, I took this job, and one of the things that I, 
figured out in the first couple months just listening is that, you know, we don't have the luxury of building readiness that we don't employ. Uh, because as I said earlier, you know, every dollar that we uh, waste uh, potentially goes against our modernization efforts or our people efforts. And so, um, you know, I think being uh, as precise as possible and the amount of readiness that we build uh, is is going to be important, uh, you know, to our, our future efforts. Uh, you know, rearm uh, is in its initial stages today. Uh, we're learning a lot. And, and this is all of us. This is Futures Command, uh, Materiel Command, uh, TRADOC, and FORCECOM, you know, as, as we work this thing for our Army. Uh, and, and it is really going to be, um, you know, I think important because over the next five years, if we can stay on our modernization path, the path that we're on right now, uh, and we can continue to, you know, reduce requirements, right? So you see us coming a little bit out of, out of CENTCOM. Uh, and what that gives us is uh, what you see right here at Fort Campbell today. You got the whole 101st uh, Air Assault Division, uh, you know, that is on post uh, and, and able to train. Uh, and so if, um, you know, we, I, I think we have a good plan. I, I think our five-year plan is a very good one. I think the plan that uh, General McConville and Secretary Warmuth have laid out for us uh, is is a good one. It's now our responsibility, uh, you know, I think as ACOM commanders uh, to, to keep us on that path. Uh, and Mike, I couldn't agree more. And frankly, <laughs> you know, um, so rearm to TRADOC equals being people oriented. What does that mean? That means foundationally trained. Like, uh, you know, our job is individual uh, soldier skills and leader development. And then we got to build resiliency into the, our soldiers and the leaders. Because we got to, you know, the, this is not an easy life. But we have to be resilient in, in how we approach this process. They need to be doctrinally sound and oriented on the profession of arms. And, and frankly, that's how we contribute to the, to the uh, rearm model. We're going to do the first ever in January, the first ever uh, Army People Synchronization Conference to get the people in place to do the things that General Garrett needs them to do. Because if we don't set the people, none of, nothing works. So we have to set the people. So when we bring in new equipment fieldings, the people have to be there to get the training, right? I mean, it's kind of simple like that. It sounds simple. It's complex as heck. And so our, our ability to get in front of that so that we can set the conditions for, uh, for the Army to do rearm, it's not just Forces Command, it's, it's the Army, is incredibly important. So doctrinally sound, uh, foundationally focused on the basic skills that make you be able to fight and win our nation's wars, oriented on uh, the profession of arms, and being resilient with our families, our leaders, development programs, and our soldiers is really critical to, to support the whole rearm mission. Absolutely, yeah. And this has just been an absolutely incredibly eye-opening conversation with both of you. And I'm bummed that it has to end, but unfortunately our hour is up. But if I could use one word to kind of wrap up everything, it's excellence. TRADOC is building people of excellence with a foundation of um, just professionalism that we can then move on to FORCECOM where they continue to build on those leaders and those individuals' excellence so that they can perform at the units, at the larger unit levels and be the leaders and the individuals our nation needs. So this has just been um, a really, really incredible conversation. And I want to thank General Garrett uh, for taking the time to join us today and sharing how Forcecom is making sure the Army is ready and capable for uh, any mission. Sir, is there anything else you'd like to share before we sign off today? No, uh, I guess the last thing, Sarah, is um, um, soldiers know when you really care about them. I mean, soldiers do. They know when they have a leader that really cares about them. And you know, I don't, you know, for me and Paul, um, you know, we're old and weepy, you know, sometimes <laughs> now but it's because we just care so deeply. And it's hard for me uh, as a force com commander to really convey that to everybody. But I tell you, I care more than uh, 
you know, then people know about our army and about our soldiers. And, um, you know, it's my responsibility. I'm going to do this as long as I have the army, you know, every day, you know, I get up with the intention of making, you know, the part of the army, uh, that I'm responsible for better. Uh, and, um, you know, the last thing is, um, as I said before, you know, all of us have great friends out there. Uh, and it is, you know, I think, you know, the reason that we're able to get stuff done between the two of us uh, is because of our long, uh, you know, term uh, personal uh, relationship uh, and our, our professional uh, relationships. And Paul and I got plans for the future, too, though. But we got, we, we'll unveil those now, Paul. We'll save those for the next one. <laughs> Absolutely. I, could, I couldn't agree more, Mike. And thanks for doing this today. I know, I know how busy you are. And frankly, uh, you know, I can think of nobody better to really talk about and show the love and compassion that we have for our soldiers and, and their families out there. Yeah, uh, you're an incredible leader. Of, uh, and you don't you show up every day. You strap that those doggone uh, lace up boots on. I know we'll get you some straps later. But uh, you, you put those bad boys on and and you go to work and you live it uh, every day. And so, you know, if there's somebody I compete against. Dave, in a positive way, it's Mike Garrett. I know, I know he's up doing PT at you know whatever god awful time it is. So I got to be there too, and that's what keeps me going. And it, it, our professional relationship, but more for our personal uh, respect and trust of one another. And so for for the team out there, just know that uh, the the Tradoc Forcecom relationship will continue to thrive because we need each other. This army, this army, and Mike said this very well, you know, every soldier, every dollar, every doggone minute of time matters. And, uh, you, know, the, you know, and if we're going to fight outnumbered and win, which is what our doctrine, no matter how you couch it, our doctrine is fight outnumbered and win, uh, no matter how you, put, you lay that out, it has to be a team effort. And so I'm glad and blessed to have a great teammate like Mike Garrett uh, my great friend, uh, and to 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 share this every day with. So, for everybody out there, thanks for your time today. Know that uh, the last thing I'll tell you is, I'm a, uh, I, I like to tell things in stories. So there's a young man, and there used to be a reason uh, that people feared drill sergeants, and it was called the shark attack. And it was frankly, uh, it was breaking trust. Uh, it was breaking trust uh, in, in our NCOs almost immediately. We'd have great recruiters who'd talk them into coming to the Army, and then we'd break trust with them as they were getting on the, off the bus. What we have done now, well, how we have changed that condition, is through two words. And this, by the way, was how I would uh, go with Mike Garrett. Those two words are, follow me. That non-commissioned officer says to those young men or women getting off that bus, follow me. And that's where... Building trust starts. Victory starts right there in how we bring them into our force. Uh, so, uh, Mike and Sarah, thanks again for moderating this. Uh, what a tremendous job. Uh, you know, and Mike Garrett, as always, your, your insights are just legendary, and, and your relationship and your uh, reputation across the Army is that of one of the most caring leaders in our force. And thank you for what you do every day. Uh, and for everybody out there, happy thanks, happy Thanksgiving coming up. Absolutely. And uh, happy holidays. Please take care of one another, and please know that uh, our people matter more than anything else. So as we stay after this, uh, uh, this Leader Development Forum, thank you for all of you. Thanks for what you do. It truly does matter. Thanks, Mike. Great Absolutely. to see you, my friend. Absolutely. Thanks, Paul. I want to thank both of you for um, taking the time out of your incredibly busy schedules to make this connection and to share your insights with us from your side of things. Um, it's just incredibly important information to share. And I want to thank everyone who tuned in today uh, and sent us questions, and we've got tons of them. So we'll touch base with our leaders and get the rest of those answered for you. Um, but generating a ready and lethal force is something that cannot and should not be done from a single command. Uh, the collaboration between TRADOC and FORCECOM is essential to the success of every soldier and unit that make up our great army. As the enemy continues to advance and change, our training and force structure must also adapt in order to continue to be the decisive force our nation needs. So this 
these two, we couldn't have done a better job for this today, but join us next month when we talk people strategy and building cohesive teams with our special guest, Lieutenant General Gary Brito from Army's G1 and personnel. That's scheduled for December 15th. We hope you'll join us. Um, and again, thanks for joining us in General Funk and myself. And as General Funk always says, victory starts here.